Welcome to Lose Real Folks. As the uh, city's only uh, local politics podcast, we try to keep our focus on Dallas and the politics that affect it. But uh, today I want to know whether you support Putin or Wagner, Tyler. <laughs> Man, this is uh, definitely one in which uh, it seems like there are not great options. Um, but Putin not being in power, I think would be a great thing for the world. Um, but you know, I don't know, mercenary versus dictator, not always a great decision. They're probably the same in terms of the level of war crimes they've demonstrably committed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, there's a funny tweet somebody was talking about. It would be as though we um, invaded Canada because for some reason we thought that Montreal belonged to us. Mm. And then we got our ass kicked and our army headed back for D.C., except our army was funded by Rachel Ray. That's a very convoluted, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> the chef, right? I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, yeah, really weird to follow. Um, my uh, post of the day I was pretty proud of was, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Reds are on a 12-game winning streak, um, and Russia's on the brink of collapse. It feels just like 1990, right? That's a Cincinnati Reds <laughs> joke. That's right. Gotta love it. Feels For like some reason, um, Urbanist Twitter is having a field day with this, talking about the, the roadblocks that you can see on uh, Google Maps. Uh, and the, the traffic problems being a, a sure sign that uh, Razlov and Moscow need uh, congestion pricing. I saw that. I also enjoyed the pictures of the scooters uh, at the intersections <laughs> in Moscow as the tanks are rolling by. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of micromobility, you know, is not even allowed in some cities in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, Crucia this week, folks. There is uh, really weird, gossipy stuff to talk about. Um, we had an inauguration in which the uh, Democratic mayor of Dallas, a person who has served in the Texas legislature as a Democrat multiple terms, uh, invited... Republican Senator John Cornyn to swear him in and Republican Senator Ted Cruz to attend. I have kept my eye on this for many, many cycles, and I don't ever recall a statewide elected official attending a Dallas City Council inauguration. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit at our last show of um, between sort of the puff piece that was written about the mayor in the Washington Post and then him inviting Corn and then Cruz was sort of a late add into the, the party, right? Um, and trying to sort of read the tea leaves as to what it says. Um, I was saw some um, stuff on Twitter last night that um, said that uh, sort of claim that Republicans are sort of speaking out loud that they feel pretty confident that Johnson is going to become a Republican and potentially run for some office. We were talking about maybe what office last week, right? Um, they seem to think maybe a statewide office. 
Which you know what the only one is that makes any sense? Uh, well, I don't know. Attorney General. AG. Yeah, right. And that, uh, which, and I don't know. You would know this better, Philip. If Paxton is impeached, is there a special election to have a new attorney no. general? No. They would appoint one, right? The governor appoints, and the governor appointed John Scott. John Scott currently right? uh, to be the interim, which you would think that means he would appoint John Scott. Like, why would why would Eric have a belief? that he would get appointed or if he ran in 26 that he would receive the backing the republican party has a lot of problems in texas right now a ton yeah. and it's not unified when it comes to policy stuff but it's extraordinarily unified and disciplined on people have to climb the ladder to get to the statewide the right way yeah um you know abbott um District judge, Supreme Court judge, attorney general, governor. Cornyn, same, exactly the same path. Um, Rick Perry, um, uh, I forget his first office, but then he was the agriculture commissioner. You know, yeah. this the stuff, George Bush got a pass because his name, he gets he, he get, gets to skip, but he did lose some races. So mm -hmm. he, he had that going for him, I guess. Um, but yeah, the people talking about CD32, the filing deadline to be in the Republican primary for CD32 is the second week of December of this year. Yeah, it'd have to happen really quickly. And so yeah. we think that Eric ran for office again to be mayor for six more months. What what is he would be better off not having run and announcing yeah. So that he could start fundraising. Yeah, the thirty-two thing I don't quite understand. I I guess also if you are switching, if he is switching to become a Republican, you know that district was drawn to be more friendly to Democrats in the last cycle. I right? think They're Cook kind of has it, it as a D plus ten, and I think most of my friends who are working in that, in that uh, race think it's a D plus fifteen. You know, so you know, looking at that, I mean, if he runs as a Republican, it's a really steep hill to climb right um but you know the thing about it it is and i sort of posted a picture this week of um, narcissus uh looking at himself and saying <laughs> there's a new portrait of the mayor that was unveiled at the inauguration but you know to hear him talk i mean there was that interesting story that tim rogers had um in d magazine uh where the mayor was caught lying on the mark davis show so one Mayor Johnson appearing on Mark Davis's show is, in and of itself, I mean, he's a Republican, right? Probably. I, I mean, that's... I have appeared on Mark Davis's okay. show also. However, I think Mark generally had me on to um, spar with a little bit. Yeah. Because Mark's not an excellent um, debater. Um, he relies a lot on uh, fallacy. Um and but conservative talk his radio, his his audience likes this shit. Yes. you know. Oh, for sure. Um, so Tim Rogers talked uh, about this, but anyway, the mayor in his interview with Mark Davis this week um, says that basically um, he says that uh, quote This is a fact. Nearly ninety nine percent of Dallas voters voted for me for mayor. I won the election with ninety eight point seven percent of the vote. So that means that's a really specific lie to tell, and, it, and it's yeah, just not true, right? There's no way that you can slice the numbers and come up with ninety-eight point seven, ninety-nine percent of the vote. Well, right? and and believe me, 
um, self-actualized Buddhists do not run for public office. Those of us who run for public office know damn well what percentage we Yeah, have. he knows the number, right? I mean, there's no <laughs> way he doesn't know the number, right? Um, you know, 99% of the votes cast, not right. There are 93% of them that went to him, right? If you look at the numbers, there's no way to slice it to where he has 99%, 98.7%, but he's claiming that he's got this huge mandate between Republicans, Democrats, independents. They like what I'm doing uh, as mayor. I'm focusing on, thing, focusing on things the city want for a long, long time. Uh, police and fire, basic, um, overwhelmingly popular with the voters, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and basically, he just is directly lying uh, about... Well, and I think Tim asked the question in his piece, what is it internally that makes a guy like that need those six more points to make a point that would be made perfectly adequately by saying, I got 93% of the vote? And I'd have to go back and look and see. At, now, even at 93% of the vote, this is Victor Orban shit. Yeah, which we, <laughs> I mean, and I'd have to go back and look and see when the mayor put out that press release after election day that was like, you know, Mayor Johnson reelected with 90 whatever percent of the vote. And at that time we said, that's what, you know, dictators do when they win elections, right? Is they claim they have this humongous mandate. And so, um, I mean, that is weird. So someone on Twitter was basically saying that um, it is, Republicans are confident that he is switching to be a Republican to run for some office to be determined. Well, assuming we're right about AG, 2026 is every third cycle a state will not have a senatorial election because they're six-year terms. Um, and so 26 is Texas's year not to have a mm -hmm. senatorial election. So if he's, think about this, you know because Cruz and Cornyn were in the building that there is also a photo of the three of them in the mayor's office, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, mayor's office in the city of Dallas has uh, a porch um, that looks out over the, the southern view of downtown. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it makes for great photo ops. So you know that photo exists. So if he knows, which he should, that he does not have access to the Abbott Patrick machine, um, is he trying to use our federal Republicans to create a second wing? Of the party and if so you've chosen exactly the wrong election to benefit from a senatorial endorsement because neither one of those guys is going to be running or spending any money so every this this is what makes me insane because i constantly try to map a strategy or a narrative onto facts and statements um this is what i'm supposed to do i'm that's that's how i make my money um, but it's with Eric, you always get to a point where you're like, none of this makes any sense. Yeah. Unless, you know, I, I guess the only way it does make sense is if, you know, now I, I guess presuming that that is true, it is interesting that the governor and the mayor do not seem to be as buddy buddy as the others are. But definitely not hostile. Right, not hostile to uh, He got a special allocation of vaccines when no other city did. Yeah. Um, they have photo ops together at uh, the Uber 
um, groundbreaking and at the the uh, Cotton Bowl. Um, so that I don't, yeah. I don't. I mean, Greg Abbott doesn't have like warm relationships with anybody. He has transactional Presumably relationships. He have a personality. Yeah, this is the big. <laughs> this is the big difference between him and and Rick Perry. Rick Perry really is loved in the Texas Republican Party, and he has really good loyal friends. Um, so I don't think it's weird that Eric doesn't have like more of a buddy buddy deal with. Abbott, I think that's just kind of the best you can get out of Abbott. I think Abbott has given him material things that indicate that he's at least not hated. You know, so and I guess I think, well, maybe does Abbott appoint John Scott in the interim in AG as sort of a caretaker role until the impeachment happens, right? Um, which, again, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm Dan Patrick or Greg Abbott, and I know that the Texas you know, Republican Party apparatus seems to be crazy about all of this, but what they have to gain by keeping Paxton on, to me, it's easy to just kill him off, be done with all of the corruption and scandal that he brings and have someone be in that office that does not have the plague of scandal. The problem with Johnson is, is that, you know, he also doesn't have a personality, right? Um, and I just, I would, I, I would take issue with that. Okay. Um, Eric, uh, Eric definitely has a personality in my mind. He's very funny. Uh, he's very sharp. Um, he is, uh, you, narcissistic is a good way to put it. Also, uh, in, unnecessarily oppositional. Yeah. Um, adversarial um, and kind of paranoid. And in, in, in he's sort of predisposed to see a personal slight in otherwise innocuous communication. Oh, for sure. Right. Which has been clear here, which I guess wonder, makes me wonder, does, you know, would he even be a strong statewide kind of candidate? Right. I mean, I, you know, he claims that he solved the problem with crime, and I guess that that does do something in a Republican primary, right, with some voters. But I guess his personality is not one, to me, that seems like people would rally behind him. Well, and I think that um, conservative black people are sometimes very interesting to Republican voters, but I'm not sure that Texas has shown that they would ever be that friendly to a black candidate. Um, and, and believe me, when I'm saying that, I'm not saying that Eric shouldn't run because he's black. What I'm saying is Republican voters in Texas might be horrible. Mm. Which, yeah, is a fair, probably a fair thing to at least call into question. Yeah, the whole thing is very, <laughs> it's hard to figure out what to make of it. Um, and politics, right, is all about timing, right? Um, and trying to figure out, you know, what, if you're trying to make that leap to the next level, you know, when is the right time for you to try and do something like that? Um, so if he runs in 26, let's say it's AG, yeah. this is the only office I can think of, by the way, yeah. because there aren't any other, 32 is not a good bet, and the timing's way, way weird. Yeah. And there aren't, I don't think there are offices 
that are gettable for a Republican if he stays in Dallas, you know, mm-hmm. and presumably you need Dallas voters if you're so if so if if ninety eight point seven percent of them support you. I mean that would yeah, yeah, and that's what seems to happen with our. But as Tim as, as Tim pointed out, that turned out to be forty three thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the primaries, right, seem to definitely break out in terms of you have to be from one of the big cities, right? There's normally a Dallas person, a Houston person. Uh, you could probably be from the Valley mm. and get away with it. Yeah. Um, you certainly, in a Democratic primary, um, a good Latino candidate coming out of the Valley is going to be seen as formidable. Yeah. Whether it turns out that way or not, you've still got to pull some support from the cities. You can't, you can't win with the Valley, yeah. but there, there is, there is that if, if San Antonio, Austin, Houston, and Dallas are, um, four poles, the fifth pole is, yeah. is the Valley, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, you know, Cornyn isn't retiring anytime soon, right? You know, I had this discussion with a guy who knows a lot more about the Republican Party than I do, and I thought that Cornyn's statements recently, where he's been openly critical of Trump, yeah. Um, I mean, if there's one thing John Cornyn has been known for in his career, it's being utterly mealy-mouthed. The guy mm-hmm. rarely makes a definitive statement. Yeah. Um, he, he opposed Trump on the border wall and he, um, his strongest statement on that was, um, there's some opposition to that in my state. (laughs) Now he did, was the head uh, of the gun control compromise that came out last summer, right? For the Republicans and got a lot of flack for that. So my, my, my read when a guy that age is bucking the base is that's his retirement announcement Which could be yeah. you know, he j- just got reelected um he's he has six more years he will be i don't know exactly how old but upper 70s i yeah. think once he finishes this term and i was like surely he's leaving and uh i am reliably told i'm wrong yeah i mean he and he, he looks healthy right i mean he, he takes good care he of seems like he could do that job for you know another probably 12, 18 years if he wanted to and if we kept sitting him back. And he probably is the best Republican in Texas. Maybe other than Dade Phelan. Maybe Dade Phelan. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, the one thing, I was mentioning this to my friend because cause I'd recently seen you know, the personal net worth of the senators. Mm. And uh, John Cornyn's been in the Senate for a long time, and it appears to me that he has not used his office to enrich himself. Uh, and that is a minority characteristic sure. of U.S. senators. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, hard to figure out, and it doesn't sound like we're going to come to any uh, consensus of it, but definitely something to continue monitoring the situation. I guess I do wonder, so one of the folks on Twitter last night was like, claim that Romer knows that Eric's planning to become a Republican, but seems to be sitting on it for whatever reason. And if that's the case, why? You know, are you a reporter or are you a stenographer, right? I, I have never known Gromer to sit on stuff. Now he yeah. may have, because yeah. access journalism is a, is a, a real yeah. thing, 
Um, but I, I, that sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Definitely, again, a situation to continue to monitor. Okay, so that's the surface story of the inauguration. What's the subsurface story? That's a great question, yeah. Um, okay. Gossipy bullshit one. Uh, Eric announces no guests. Um, city council members for the first time that I can ever remember will not be allowed to have a guest on stage with them, not their spouse, not their kid, not their mom. Uh, I knew some members of council were upset about this. I thought it wasn't very many because I'm a person who hates ceremony and inauguration, so it wouldn't bother me a bit. Um, but no, I was wrong about that. Most of them were really, really offended, and they delegated gay um, to go talk to the mayor and say, hey, we really, we, we need to have our, you know, Omar's mom wanted to be on the stage with him. You know, this, this makes a difference mm -hmm. to people. So she goes to ask him. Apparently that conversation doesn't go well because Eric says something along the lines of hell no. And so um, Gay, I don't know if she told him that she was going to do this or if she sent a memo around doing it, um, but she uh, was going to get a special called meeting of council together to overrule him. Oh, wow. Um, and um, his reaction to that, oh, this is what she was going to do. She's chair of the administrative ad hoc committee. She was going to do a special called meeting of the administrative ad hoc committee where she knows she can get a quorum so that they can... Um, vote to and invite all the rest of the council members you know so they can vote to overrule yeah. them basically to create there's not a legal outcome there but there's a media outcome right um eric's response was to completely depopulate all of the committees of council no council member is a member of any committee right now interesting well in interesting and troubling yeah because while the mayor under our charter has basically infinite power to appoint or de-appoint council members to committees, and he also has infinite power to create or get rid of committees, infinite is the wrong word. He has a slightly more limited power to create or destroy committees. The charter requires an audit committee. In Dallas, we call that the Government Performance and Financial Management Committee, or GPFM. It was budget, finance, and audit when I was on it. In any case, you have to have it. By depopulating GPFM, the mayor has violated the charter. Oh, interesting. Now, we've had a lot of whining from the inspector general about how he has all these great cases that he's been unable to bring because of the high standard of proof that he's held to, but council just undid that. Yeah. So he's now on the lower standard of proof, and he has what appears to be a patent violation of the black letter terms of the charter by the mayor. Yeah. I wonder how that's going to be handled. Man, that's that's pretty wild. Well, I, I guess it would behoove someone to file a complaint, right, with the, the IG. Is that how? Any uh, person living in Dallas or doing business with the city has standing to bring that complaint. I think someone should do that would be interesting to at least uh, have well a, really they hired this inspector general yeah 
so that the process wouldn't be entirely generated by citizen complaints. Yeah, right. Someone on. Um, so yeah, is he gonna do his job? Yeah. I, I have a, I, I have an opinion. But... I'm gonna guess probably not, mm-hmm. right? Given uh, what it seems like they're really interested in in that office, um, which I don't quite know what it is other than to make the editorial board of the Dallas Morning News happy. Uh, and seeming to feel like they're rooting out corruption, what they call corruption at City Hall? I think it's the reverse. I think the Ed Board is there to lionize the mayor. Oh, well, that's probably also true. Yeah. But they're all working for the same people, yes. so it's it's like it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six and one half dozen the other there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be, um, that is really interesting. And so there were no guests uh, at the inauguration Tuesday? No guests. Which it just, it's, it's such a stupid, like, I just don't understand. It's an, unne- you talked about this, like, it's an unnecessarily antagonistic thing to take, right, for the mayor. Like, what's... What's the upside? Yeah, like, what did he get out it? of that? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, right? Um, I mean, he gets to have a guest... It's my in. inauguration. Yeah, right? When really? The rest are getting sworn in, too, and he has somebody else swear him in, and then they get sworn in by somebody else by the municipal court yeah. judge? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, yeah, I don't quite understand the upside of it for for him, especially, right, coming in where, you know, we really have had, for the most part, um, a pretty peaceful relationship between the mayor and council over the course of, Certainly, maybe the last year, maybe even two, right? The dust up around, you know, TC last summer, probably being the one outlier to that. But really, they've gotten along pretty well. Um, better, I would say. Yeah. I, I would say that the, 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 the strife between them has not reached the level of media coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not say that... Eric has warm relationships with council yeah, other, other than maybe Kara. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, why jeopardize that or throw that all away over something as stupid as inauguration? It's because 97.8% of people voted for him, or 987 yeah. I mean, whatever. He just can't, right? Yeah, just because he can. Yeah. He's, he's, the only, he's the only city council member that everybody votes for. Yeah. All 43,000 of 43,000 of the people who bothered to vote, <laughs> which is what, like 3% of the registered voters in the city? Yeah, and that's the other point that uh, I think was important from Tim's piece is that um, the, uh, the public opinion polling that asks people, is Dallas on the right track, has steadily plummeted to a level that frankly, should alarm anyone who is uh, elected by all of the people. Yeah, right. That was really interesting. I forget the numbers, but, it, you know, basically there was a is 20 or 30 percent drop in this city of Dallas survey as to what folks overall rate of satisfaction is with the city, which uh, is really pronounced. Right. Um, and should make any chief executive feel not great about the work that they're doing. The, the problem here is, and now these surveys are kind of bullshit, right? Um, well, even if the survey isn't bullshit, yeah. here's here's where you have a problem. Um, the forty three thousand people who voted 
of well, okay, let's let's broaden it because it's more than forty three thousand who voted. Um, there were many people who didn't vote for Eric or who voted for uh, me or <laughs> Melissa <laughs> um, or what, what were the funny ones? Mickey Mouse Mickey uh, was Mouse, on there, yeah. right? I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was another really funny one, but uh, maybe I'll think of it. Um, the let's so let, let's say I think it was fifty six thousand total voted, something like that. Um, the it may not even be that high. In any case, however many people it is, it's a small fraction of the registered voters, mm -hmm. which Tim pointed out. And here's the thing that I think is not in his piece, but I think is true. The sample that you get when you restrict the sample to people who will go vote in a municipal election, that sample does not hold for the population of Dallas. They are fundamentally yeah, older, different. Wider. They're older, whiter, wealthier, much more committed to single family yeah. um, neighborhoods, um, much more committed to police. Yeah. Um, much more committed to kind of law and order messaging. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an unsolvable problem, at least in the, in the situation we find ourselves in today. But, uh, that's, that's the problem of saying, okay, people in Dallas clearly want, uh, more affordable housing and police reform or even fewer police. Like, I think that would poll. Um, but it does not poll among municipal voters, and they're the only ones who count. That uh, poll had some other interesting uh, findings, I felt like, uh, too, uh, that sort of they, they're referencing in it, right, was this sort of city community survey. Um, you know, one, not surprisingly, you know, the top three uh, priorities in, in almost every council district was infrastructure, police, and social services, right? Social services sometimes doesn't score that high, so that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some interesting sort of talking about, you know, the public. I bet I know what that is. I bet they, I bet it's a, it, I bet it's a survey structure issue. And I bet there was one word after social services that made everybody vote for it. What do you think it was? Mm, that I don't know. Homelessness. Yeah, social services, <laughs> homelessness. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, you know, so it sort of talked about these trend analyses in it, um, you know, the public feeling better about um, the city's performance with regard to ambulance and emergency services, um, the appearance and maintenance of rec centers, uh, feeling of safety from fire, which I find to be, I mean, I know that's just a weird thing to, I don't worry a whole lot about fire. Right. That's not something that. Well, and statistically, we can prove that you shouldn't be worried about it because <laughs> we've converted our entire fire department into a healthcare provider because that's the only thing there is for them to do. To they, do. We, but between building inspections, yeah. material science, and enforcing the code, we've yeah. gotten pretty good at preventing fire. We've got fire on lockdown. Appearance maintenance of parks, outdoor athletic facilities being increases. Folks are have decreased um, their satisfaction in air quality, um, land use, planning and zoning, access to affordable quality housing, access to affordable quality childcare and traffic management, um, which that was heartening to see, right, that folks are frustrated about things that I think we are probably the most frustrated about as well, right, with regard to how the city 
Uh, sort of well, let me be clear. I'm not personally frustrated about any of those things. Yeah. I just think that maybe people who live here ought to have access to that stuff. Oh, I certain. just I just live in this house and do my stupid wiener job and have <laughs> basically a good time. I'm basically just watching out for the rest of you but, people. Well, and it is important, right? I, I you know I do. I mean, obviously, I don't have children, but the childcare thing is fascinating, huge. right? Huge. Um, you know, I live in 75214 zip code. Um, it is a daycare desert, right? There are no open spots in daycare facilities in 75214, right? Which is, in theory, one of the wealthier, not considering, you know, sort of Highland Park, uh, those sorts of neighborhoods in the city. Um, and there's nowhere for those kids to have childcare. Seems to be not, not great, right? Well, there's, you know, the answer here is the government has got to get involved in early childhood care. Yeah. Um, and it's moving in that direction with the movement toward pre-K. But, um, you know, if you want mom and dad to continue to be productive parts of the economy, they probably need some help with um, daycare stuff. Did you see where um, the breakdown between areas in which um, Dallas respondents um, felt how happy they were with city services versus the national average piece? No. So this was one of the slides in that was it was Dallas versus largest communities by percentage of respondents who rated the item as a four or five, where five is very satisfied. So in most areas, People of Dallas that filled out the survey feel better than median voters or average folks in other cities. The two that we didn't feel great about were the police and infrastructure. Now, the police thing was really interesting to me because, again, it goes against this narrative that the mayor and Chief Garcia and the media have joined them in, of which, again, uh, what was that? Was the bra? comment that the mayor no one is talking about oh that's that's the that's the mayoral vote that i thought was so funny it's bruh bruh was a great candidate which the mayor would probably argue that should be a stand-in for him you know he claimed no one talked about it but everybody talks about it right um that uh feeling like that they have sort of solved crime right is what they claim but if that were true you know why are survey respondents having a lower opinion of the police than folks from other cities. I don't know for certain, but I think Garcia is in uh, a tricky spot. He's handling it well, but he's in a tricky spot. He's reducing arrests. So he he's doing that by reducing enforcement of low-level nonviolent offenses. Um, that causes white people to be less satisfied with police. But at the same time, police interactions with people of color continue to be um, disproportionate and more violent and more serious. So people of color are dissatisfied with the police. I think he gets it coming and going on that deal. Yeah, which I think that that makes sense. And again, it's this weird, I think, yeah, narrative between we've solved crime, but then among some voters feeling like that cities are incredibly dangerous, crime infested, right? Like there's, I, I don't know, sort of this, they probably feel like that the police should do a better job 
which is why they're reporting dissatisfaction with them because they feel like crime is but then rampant. but then know. in inside the survey they they reported an improvement in their feeling about response times which are demonstrably worse. Well, and, so who are and, these people? Who did we talk to? to well, and worse enough to the point, right, that the, one of the big things that came out this week was that people will no longer be able to call 911 to report non-emergencies. They have to report those online, which I always was sort of taught that 911, you were only supposed to call an emergency. Well, uh, and it's, but, it's, all over the, it's all over the place because yeah. a few years ago, we started telling people, call 911 for everything so that we can track it, so that we have the data. But then when the data is used against the police, they're like, no, 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 don't. Yeah. So I, I think, did they also publish a non-emergency number? We used to, we, there was a period of time when Dallas didn't have a non-emergency number. Um, I always had that growing up. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of people who are not able easily to report stuff online. So I hope they are also publishing some way some for them to use the way phone. To be able to do that. Yeah. I, not that I saw. I saw. And apparently the website thing has been a thing already. It has been. Right? It's been just, out there. It's yeah. just a question of if people know if it. People know that it exists. Um, I I actually like this way of handling it. 911 for emergencies is how I was raised oh, and, it's, sure. and yeah. it's, it's always it always feels wrong to me to dial 911 when I've got something that clearly doesn't need an emergency, emergency response. Yeah. You know, um, and it's really hard to train 911 operators to do intake on stuff that's non-emergency. I mean like that just adds this whole element to their job. Don't we don't we want them to be like uh what was the '70s show, Adam Twelve, or one of these, you know, one of these emergency services shows where they're like tense music and they're sitting at the phone and they're ready to, they're ready to dispatch everything you need when you're in trouble. And they, yeah, and the response times are bad, right? I, the, one of the things I saw in the article was that for that highest priority of calls, the average response time is ten minutes, and that's the one where you're really trying to make, uh, where where you want somebody to be on the way, yes. you know, and. Yeah. And, but I, I honestly, so like people get very mad when their cars get broken into, very mad. There is no reason to call 911 for that. Yeah. There's no, there's no catching the guy. There's no, none of that. It's already gone. You know? Yeah. It's like that episode in Seinfeld where it was a Jerry Spike that stole it and the police come to his apartment and he tells them about it and they tell him at the end, we'll call you if we find anything. And he asks, do you ever find anything? And they go, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've, uh, you know, I've gotten to work with a lot of DPD personnel in this town. Fortunately, not much for crime reporting purposes, but yeah, I, I think your, uh, your beat cop is inclined to sometimes tell the public exactly what the truth is. Now I will say, uh, now a funny story about that. My dad's bicycle was stolen back in Indiana one time. And they called and reported into the police, and he got called. The house phone rang at two o'clock in the morning to let us know that they'd found his bicycle. <laughs> it's like that could have probably waited until nine. No, we, <laughs> we didn't need to call in the middle of the night about the bike being being found. So more inauguration drama. Okay, what else? Uh, okay, City of Dallas, as you know, has two council-elected leadership positions, the mayor pro tem yeah. and the deputy mayor pro tem. Now, um, 
in most cities where you have those offices, the um, in most council manager cities where you have those offices, the in the absence of the mayor, the the mayor pro tem, or in the absence of the mayor pro tem, the deputy mayor pro tem, have exactly the same powers as the mayor. That is not true in Dallas. The city attorney in twenty thirteen issued an opinion that. Uh, unless the mayor were actually incapacitated or completely unavailable, like they, like as in not only do they not know where he was, there was no reasonable expectation of getting in touch with him in a reasonable period of time. Only then would the mayor pro tem be invested with the powers of the mayor. And this came to a head in 2013 when Mike Rawlings was in Brazil and the mayor pro tem uh, Pauline Medrano, who's now our county treasurer, was, um, brought forward a resolution that Scott Griggs and several other members of council had been pushing um, that the LGBT task force mm. had authorized. And uh, Scott Griggs at the time was in an election with Delia Hasso, which a sitting council member, which resulted from Mayor Rawlings' map, redistricting map, being approved. Mayor Rawlings was convinced that Delia would kick Scott's ass mm -hmm. and he'd be rid of Scott, which he very much wanted. Um, it, it, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> um, in part because Delia wound up voting against this uh, resolution to update the city's non-discrimination language in its ordinance. So Pauline put this on the agenda because she was the only, she was running the meeting yeah. while Mike was in Brazil. And uh, city attorney at the time, I believe it was Warren Ernst, um, made the call that, no, 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 no. You, despite what the charter says, <laughs> if they could get Mike on the phone, then Pauline didn't have the power to put anything on the agenda. Just definitely not what the charter says, yes. and it's not what the council rules of procedure say. But in 2014, this had become such an irritant to Mike that they put it on a charter amendment ballot, and uh, and and it passed. Unfortunately, okay, Mayor Pro Tem, Deputy Mayor Pro Tem, absolutely no power. Um, they used to come with a small increase in the office budget, but I got to tell you. I never spent more than 50% of my office budget the entire time. I couldn't figure out what to spend it on because it's got to go to stuff that's city stuff. And any, any, any stuff we did usually had a budget from some other department. Um, I mean, I would go to every conference I could go to and I still couldn't get through that budget. So I, I just don't understand why these council members care so much about these offices. Mm -hmm. These are clearly put in place. <clears throat> to so the out outward overt reason that they were put in place was to provide an emergency um, succession plan yeah. and also to because Dallas had for many years what we called the Neapolitan rule one of each Latino, flavor yeah, and, a white. Um, and now the, this council has expanded that to four flavors because apparently woman is a separate flavor um, That's how they justify it now? Yeah, and they've gone to one-year terms on the leadership positions because they were so unable to agree on who should be 
in these in these roles. Here's how it always used to work. Always used to be that the mayor was white, and so the white people could keep their opinions to themselves, and the black people would caucus up and pick one of them, yeah. and the Latino people would caucus up and pick one of them, yeah. and then tell the white people who it was going to be, and then everybody voted unanimously for that person. Mm. And um, I can tell you, as a person who tried to fuck with that system one time, no one should fuck with that system. <laughs> um, but this council can't keep it together. They cannot, they, they cannot figure this out. And so the offices are performing their true intended function, which is to, at the beginning of a council term, create so much personal anger mm. among council members that they are unable to form effective coalitions because of hurt feelings. Um, and so I've, I've tried over many years to communicate to people I care about on council that these offices aren't worth getting upset about. And I have made no headway on that whatsoever. And this, this <clears throat> council leadership election was no different. Um, the, End result is uh, an outcome we've never seen in Dallas before. All three council leadership positions, mayor, deputy mayor pro tem, and mayor pro tem, yeah. are black. Uh, and the reason for that is because the Latinos um, simply couldn't agree. Um, and not all of them, but the majority of them wanted it for themselves. Um, and the result was they pissed off half the Latino caucus, all of the white caucus. And so the only viable candidates were black, um, which is fine. The offices mean nothing. Yeah. It's great to see black faces on council that who, who cares, you know, L Latinos in town, are rightfully pissed at their leadership yeah, for not sure. being able to even get one little bitty bit of rep representation. What Jaime, Omar, Baz, Jesse? Jaime did not. Jaime didn't indicate that he wanted this for himself. Yep. Jesse most certainly did want it for himself, which was interesting because he apparently didn't have one single other vote. So I'm not sure what he was thinking. Baz had Paula. Okay. Um, and. Omar probably had Jaime. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, Omar just was like, forget it. I've done this. I don't need it again. Yeah. I'm out. And because he was not terribly thrilled with the rest of the Latino caucus, he voted with the blacks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, this. And so sure enough. And Starting it's Carolyn out, King Arnold and Tanel, right? That's yeah. who ended up. Yeah. Carolyn King Arnold is deputy, and Tanel is mayor pro tem. I think is how that yeah. happened. We can fact check this later. But in any case, it, it sure enough on in August when they come back, or actually they have a meeting this week on Wednesday. Yeah, before July. Yeah, because it's too hot. It and it's a long meeting actually. Um, there's. I mean, they're starting out angry at each other. Yeah, not great. It's not great. That's not great for a new council term to be to be to begin. 
Uh, and I guess, well, and the mayor will have to repopulate these committees, right, and see who the new chair folks are. And, and you'll recall um, he has been slow to do that in the past. Yeah. Um, I think he was faster in 2021 than he was in 2019. In 2019, I don't think he assigned committees till like late September or something. Interesting. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's just a, a naked strategy for making sure nothing gets done. You know, it's really, it sucks. Yeah. Um, but hopefully he, I know that the council members are already talking to him about committee assignments. Um, I think I talked to a very well-connected uh, lobbyist this week um, who feels like uh, Eric is ready to make up with Chad and put him back in at housing, which I think would be a very good outcome for the city. He was good house, housing chair when he was there and he cares about it, you know, as we discussed on this show. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful that will happen. I think Chad is not as sure that will happen, but you know, it, Eric's less than totally predictable as we have established. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's got to, he's got to put those things back together and what a weird position to be in. He's going to have a meeting this next week with a council that he fired from all their committee assignments. Yeah. The mayor. I wonder if he's going to be at that meeting. Could be one. I mean, he, uh, yeah, it could be one for him to miss. Uh, that's a lot. Not auspicious start for, for them. <laughs> we had other drama that you wanted to talk about between 32 and 115. Let's stick with City Hall just for okay. a minute. Um, for the first, I think for the first time with this um, construction of the park board, they have acted up. You remember the saga of Gadbury Construction and the Highline Trail? Yeah, do you mean because you hate parks? Yes. I, I, I have been acute. Uh, That's what Sharon Grigsby told me. Park staff is telling, um, is definitely telling their board that I hate parks and That's I'm what, just, yeah. That's what Sharon Grigsby told me is that Philip Kingston hates parks. Park staff is refusing to admit that they can't manage a construction project to save their lives and that they let people with no contractual obligations to Dallas taxpayers take over the project entirely and break the law. Um, I've, I've proved that to two different judges at yeah. this point. So um, yeah, Sharon, uh, Sharon can read. In fact, Sharon did not write the piece she was gonna write after she read the legal pleadings. Ah. Um, because two very good judges have said, yeah, this this smells. Yeah. So in any case, the second low bidder, the bidder that bid $770,000 more than my client for this project, um, has decided it cannot complete the work unless it gets a $2 million change order it's a lot on a contract that was an 11 million dollar contract that seems to be a lot yeah that's enormous yeah and the park board wasn't having it and so the company claiming that the delay is what caused their 
the change order increase? The company and city staff have claimed that and are cer certainly okay. telling Park Board that, and Park Board isn't buying it, um, as indicated by their vote. It was an 8-7 vote, one of those rare 8-7s, right? Because yeah. 8-7s always turn into 9-6 somehow, yeah. right? Um, and I think it was on Tim Dickey's motion, so the, the, the commissioner or the board member for the district that this project is in, <clears throat> moved to offer the contractor Two hundred thousand more dollars, rather than the two million so rounding, they want. Rounding out. Yeah, yeah. So um, that goes to council this week, and we will see what is done with it. Somebody could have uh, deferred it. There's a by right deferral that can take place last week. I don't know if anybody anybody did, but it'll be very interesting to see um, the 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 leader of the establishment coalition on Park Board is livid and apparently is calling all of the members of council. Um, but I think it's, I think it's quite funny. That's it. Well, yeah. I would be interested to see the numbers behind that, right? Because even if it is an inflation uh, cost overrun issue, right, that they're claiming, that's 18%, right, that uh, of how much more money they would be saying it costs. And their original bid had a cost overrun contingency fund in the bid. Yeah, so they've already burned okay. through their yeah. estimation of likely inflation. And now we're saying it's 18. To the tune of $2 million more million. So it's, it's yeah. outrageous. Yeah. Well, good for the park board. Well, good for the park board, but it, it, there's very, very good for the park board. There are a lot of really good people on that board. Yeah. Um, in fact, I don't think I know anybody on that board I don't like. Even the establishment people are, they're, you know, they who, they're who they are. They're not dishonest, you know? Yeah. Um, but the Arun, the chair, I think has been very even-handed with this board. He voted against uh, the full, uh, he voted for the Tim Dickey lower amount. So, I don't know. I, I think that's good. The, the issue is um, park staff are are not great at upper level management right now. Um, and they, I think this may mark the first significant um, expression of doubt on the part of the park board in, the, in their upper level management. And the reason that's really important in when you're talking about parks board or the civil service board is those are the two boards in the city of Dallas that hire their own department director. Yeah. So that's an, in, I'm not saying that, that John Jenkins head is, is gonna roll. I don't think we're close to that yet, but I do think that this is an indication that they've lost confidence in him, at least with regard to this issue. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, will be interesting to, to follow. And so you said the, that comes up to council this week? Unless somebody deferred it, which could have happened up until five o'clock uh, yesterday, uh, we're recording on Saturday, listeners. Um, it, yeah, it, then it'll it'll hit on Wednesday at a very long meeting. The uh, other, I guess, city thing too that uh, so it's budget time, right? Or the uh, I guess that the city budget um, operating, and they had a sort of meeting about the budget. Um, and not many people attended said meeting. 
which is not great. Right? It's not great, but you know, it is so hard to change the manager's proposed budget in the city of Dallas that you're not going to see people really start to pay attention until it's actually published, which will be when they come back in August or maybe right. in July before they come back. Uh, yeah, TC would present his budget in July, end of July, August. And the, the scuttlebutt we've heard is that TC is tired and may be looking to leave, but he wanted to manage one last budget process. So that we can have more acronyms in this one, hopefully. Yes. That's <laughs> the what, real, R-E-A-L. Mm-hmm. Those are my. I'm gonna. If TC, there was one before that. I mean, they, he's, he does TC this a leaves, lot. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss the acronyms. Yeah. Because uh, then we're just gonna be stuck with the mayor's commission on this and the mayor's commission <laughs> on that and the mayor's tab. That's not as exciting as acronyms all the time. Uh. So did we talk STRs last episode? Uh, we did. Yep. Okay. Yep. We updated folks on uh, the decision. Now, the only thing that I guess has changed or that has continued to be a developing situation with that was the parking uh, piece that was added in, which essentially has banned them almost everywhere in the city, which seems to not be probably a great outcome, I would argue. Yeah, I think that's still a problem. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Okay. Uh, CD32? Yeah. So, okay, so Julie Johnson released her initial fundraising numbers, and she already has enough money to win the primary. Yeah, she announced a $275,000 haul within the first, what, 24 hours of the launch of her campaign. Ideally, you'd want to spend half a million bucks on the primary for you know, a congressional seat because you the you know the the number of voters is going to be in the hundreds of thousands. So your mail is going to be super expensive. Um, and hell, if you could raise a million bucks, it'd be that'd also be good, you know. But um, this it's an interesting thing. I I usually am a fan of letting people know you're thinking about it about running, but not announcing until closer to the filing deadline. Um, but this is a this is a good strategy if you know you're going to be able to drop a huge money number because we may now know all of the Democratic candidates who are going to run. Yeah, yeah, right. And there are three of them, right? So Julie Johnson announced this week. Julie's currently a state representative for District 115, right? She defeated Nat Rinaldi. Thank uh, God. The chairman of the Texas Republican Party for that. The other candidates are uh, Brian Williams. Um, who was the trauma surgeon that was really uh, vocal about gun control in the wake of the Dallas police shooting downtown, right? And was also the uh, chair of the, what used to have a different name, the, the, the oversight board for the police. police it's now called board. the Community Police Oversight Board and did an excellent job at leading the process of getting that board more oversight. And the third person running in this seat is Zachariah Manning. Zachariah is a friend, but um, he he will not be a, a credible candidate. Uh, I did get a, a DM from Brian Williams this week asking for money. Um, so it doesn't, uh, not as many as the text messages I get from Colin Allred's campaign, <laughs> which is, that's a lot. 
Uh, yeah, man, you can't do two per day. You just have got to make your people stop doing two per yeah, day. Not can, at this time. You right? can do one per day, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, and I uh, am probably not going to be the fundraiser uh, that you know makes or breaks Collins' campaign. So anyway, I thought the Julie number was super interesting because she she clearly knew she was going to be able to do that. She's been a great fundraiser all along. Um, but to be able to drop that big number, she may have cleared the field. We'll see. Yeah, which would be uh, definitely interesting to see. Julie, um, probably, well, I don't know. I, hard to get a, a read on her campaign. I would say Julie's probably maybe a little bit more uh, of a conservative version of it in the Democrat. I don't know. Um, she, her messaging for the launch is center-left heavy on LGBT equality, which she is uh, a member of that community and has, you know, has been vocal and effective on that stuff, I think. I mean, as effective as any member of the Texas House can be. Um, but yeah, I had I had drinks with uh, John Bryant this last week and he said, check her, check her record. She's voting pretty progressive in the Texas House. So I'm, I am going to check her record because my first not my first introduction, but a, an early um, uh, development in her career was when she supported Mike Bloomberg for president. And that's a red flag. Not a great one, uh, for folks that you would like. I think her explanation, I went back and read it. I think her explanation is that he was the only Democratic candidate um, spending money in Texas. Which is a weird thing to say because clearly Beto and time, uh, and yeah. Julian were here and I working. That Castro allegedly yeah. ran for president. So I don't know if I buy that argument. I'd, I'd be much more worried that she agreed with Mike Bloomberg's politics. But if you know, if John Bryant's telling me that she's voting progressive in the House, then I I don't need a whole lot more reassurance. Good for John Bryant to uh, that you mentioned his name, that he made the Texas Monthly's list of best legislators. Um, Indeed he did. very much deserved, right? And I, the the blurb I thought was great. John has been, John is very disciplined about messaging yeah. and his messaging has been since the very beginning. I had a conversation with him in November 2021, week of Thanksgiving. Uh, I remember this clear as a, a bell. He had not decided to run or he was telling me he hadn't decided to run. And I was definitely trying to get him to run. And I said, John, what what is it that is what is it that is motivating you to come back at your age to do yeah. this? Um, and he's like, look, these people are trading their voice for crumbs. Yeah. No one is punching back. No one is making a stink. And he's like, I, he's like, I, I, I don't want to be in the minority, but if you're in the minority, you have to fight. Yeah. And he does, he's like, I don't see fight down there. And I think a lot of people agree with that. And so the Texas Monthly blurb reads almost exactly like that. Yeah, right, that he has been a fighter. And that was the one, you know, I, I know we've talked about it on this podcast before, but at that candidate debate where he cleaned the floor with everybody in Deep Ellum during the primary, you know, that was the thing that really struck me at the time that so he talked about, you know, Democrats have been trying to play nice with Republicans in the legislature and have gotten nothing from it. And what they need is somebody that is a fighter. And he's definitely been a fighter. Right. He's given really great floor speeches about, 
Um, gun control legislation uh, was uh, super vocal about the sort of uh, anti-trans uh, legislation that was taking place. Um, and so it was great to see him get uh, kudos from Texas Monthly. Um, in there. He also cross-examined Mike Morath within an inch of his life. Yeah, which, you know, is always a good thing. Uh, Mike Morath and our campaign to destroy Texas public education from uh, within. Um, another thing to monitor. Trey Martinez-Fisher uh, made the worst legislators list of Texas Monthly, which I thought was interesting. Um, There's, I, I don't think Trey deserved to be on the worst, because yeah. uh, I thought he did an okay job as caucus leader. Um, but um, what I am hearing is that like everybody in the legislature, you can't live off what the state pays you. And Trey's a successful lawyer and had to spend a, a good amount of time working on stuff that wasn't legislation. Yeah. And so that's just unfortunate and it's just a weakness in our system. Um, I guess we only want people down there who are independently wealthy mm -hmm. or supported by other sources of money that we don't control. When, I mean, we're paying them, what's their per diem, 200 and some odd dollars a day? It, uh, it, the to it totals out to $7,200 a year. Yeah, and uh, not a lot. Now they are getting a lot of it now to do literally nothing during the current special session of the legislature. But, right. Uh, which is great because we'll get to do it again. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to do it again, probably over property taxes, right? Um, maybe another one about school vouchers, and then we'll have to pay them again for the impeachment trial, I would assume. We will. Uh, which is coming up in September. Um, so one more thing on the Texas Monthly list. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Two of the Democrats that were on the best list, along with John, do almost exactly the opposite of what John does. So I'm very curious about the editorial position of mm. Texas Monthly. Which approach do they actually think is good? Or are they just like, all, all of this is good? I'm like, I think you kind of got to pick one or the other. Yeah. When they managed to leave people off, well, I think, did Sean uh, Terry make the list for being among the worst? I didn't see Sean on that. You know, she, Did, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, she has been awful this session. I think she made it, but Harold Dutton didn't. I that, think, I think uh, that could be right. Yeah. I think it's how well, she's just all over the road. Yeah. And apparently really mean to her employees, which oh, is also good. Not great. And uh, apparently also uh, went after them because of their sexuality. Yeah. She was like, well, you know, I voted. Uh, in favor of SB 14 and yeah, my workers are mad at me, but that's because so-and-so's gay and they're a bisexual and this other one used to be a bisexual and it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is the lesson of intersectionality. It's, it's, it's like, you know, if, if one out group is being oppressed, all out groups are being oppressed and solidarity is the way to fight. The reverse is also true. If someone claims to be for the people but is transphobic, that person isn't really for any of the outgroups. Uh, yeah, yes uh, for all. Um, so that's the, what, 32 race. So that, uh, and I guess the other one that we had talked about at one time being a potential candidate for that is Baz, um, but have, that's not really gone anywhere since. Well, Except it is early, yeah. you know? I mean, Brian and Julie are early. Um, 
a normal time to announce this is over the summer or even as late as like September. Yeah, Labor Day, right. Um, you know, uh, and if you have an, if you think you have a name, I don't know that Baz has a big enough name in all of 32 to make this a viable strategy, but dropping on the day of the filing deadline, if you have a big name, that that's a, yeah. that's a decent strategy because it creates its own media. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't had further discussions with him. Um, I think if he wants to run, he's got the record to run. He's got the name to run. Um, I think people would be very, he would have to be strongly considered. All three of these candidates really should be strongly considered. Yeah. And this, this is both the joy and the headache of a Democratic primary is that the joy is we'll have three, uh, sorry, Zach, right? He's just not going to make much impact. Uh, we'll have three really credible, really attractive candidates. Um, and if that is true, then they are free to debate the actual issues. Yeah. Um, they can debate leadership, record, style, skill, all that stuff. You're only talking about positive stuff, yeah. you know, but the headache for those of us who get involved in democratic politics is that they're all our friends. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, so Julie, during that we'll open up uh, 115th, right? And immediately um, Cass Hernandez uh, announced this is the woman that Julie supported for House District 70 last cycle, which is the district that ultimately elected Mahela Plisa, uh, who did a phenomenal job in the legislature this in her first term. And not a surprise, she's a former chief of staff. She, she knows that building better than just about anybody. But the, the, Julie has always had this tendency to want to do a little kingmakering, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, and Cass is among the worst candidates I've ever seen, so mm -hmm. I'm very curious how that ever happened. I'm told that it's not going to happen again, that this is not going to be a run where Julie's going to get involved in in the 115 race to replace her. I could be wrong about that. I haven't talked to Julie. Yeah. Um, but... You know, Cass is, I encourage all 115 people to go hear her speak. You don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> the other the other name in that race uh, that's going around is Kate. Uh, I just met this woman. Uh, she sounds very uh, smart. Former AUSA. Let me pull this up real quick. Let me, let me vamp more while I pull this up. Um, Kate Rumsey. Um, she hasn't announced or anything, but she's talking to a lot of people. Um, she's got a pretty compelling story um, of her dad, who is a pharmacist, his fight to uh, get better Medicare reimbursement for pharmacists so that they could take Medicare, Medicaid both um, and how he had to organize pharmacists and actually raise money and go to Austin to try to, to fight for this because he's literally fighting for his business. And it's a, it's a good compelling story. And then she's got 
great credentials. Um, I think she's going to be an interesting one. And I hear she is kicking the tires on Adam Andrano's organization as a campaign manager. Um, Cass Hernandez, I think, has already hired Jeff Dalton. So always interesting to see the how the candidates match up, but to see how the campaign staff matches up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, anything else going on in the city that we wanted to touch on? I'm sure there is, but I don't think any of it's pressing enough to stop us from going to lunch right now. Lunch is super important uh, to be sure. Good to see you. Sunshine, take me to another place in my life.